Patroclus. Let's get started. Today, Book 16, Patroclus' Valiant Last Stand. But first, let's remember what happened at the end of Book 15. Zeus woke up next to his deceptive and beguiling wife, Hera. And immediately he looks down onto the battlefield and he sees two enraging things. And what are they? First, Poseidon, down on the battlefield. Why would it be the case that that would make Zeus very angry seeing his brother Poseidon down on the battlefield? Yes. That's right, because Zeus made a rule that no god can go down onto the battlefield because he is going to take care of ending Troy himself. However, does it look very much like Troy is about to lose or about to win? Win, because they have broken through the Achaeans' gates and are now close to the ships, so close to the ships that, in fact, today we are going to see one of the ships burn when Aias fails to defend it. Second thing that he notices, he sees Hector, the great champion of Troy, vomiting blood down on the Achaean battlefield, or the battlefield itself. He sees that Hector vomiting blood. He sees Poseidon down there. What connection do you think he makes? Clearly, Poseidon and his presence down on the battlefield is connected to the injury that Hector has um, endured. Yes, very good. And then Zeus looks over next to him, and next to him, inside the golden cloud, is Hera. What must he think? That this is her doing. That this is her doing. That this was her design. And in fact, that is what he accuses her of. He says, you designed this plan. You put Poseidon up to this. And she says, no, 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 no. I did not design this plan. Poseidon came up with it himself. Is she being truthful there? Yes, she is. However, what does she not say to Zeus, which would also be true? That she helped him with That she did help Poseidon by subverting the will of Zeus by turning his attention towards her from the Thracian riders and I believe what was it, the Mycenaeans that they were fighting against? Yes. Very good, very good, very good. And so she gets off the hook. But that said, Zeus then says, well, the whole problem there we go, with you having done that, what you did, hurting Hector and putting Poseidon on the battlefield is I am keeping my oath. I am ensuring that Troy is going to fall because, in fact, Patroclus shall fight and kill my own son, Sarpedon. Hera doesn't care about that because Sarpedon is not her son, only Zeus is. And so that will be a difficult moment as a father for Zeus. He will, in fact, he will experience some indecision. Hector then will, in turn, kill Patroclus, which will enrage Achilles. And Achilles, in being enraged, will change his, or rather, give up his emotion against Agamemnon, his rage towards him, his anger towards him, for another rage. Now a rage against Hector. And so, truly, the first word of all Western literature is manen, is rage. And so, rage does perforate this entire text. And a question you might well want to ask is this. When Achilles chooses to go back to the fighting, does he do it for honorable reasons? A. B. Does he make the choice consciously or rationally? And C, or does he simply exchange one emotion for another and have no character growth at all? Yes? He's throwing out his emotions. You think so? You think so? C, huh? All right, good. Well, Hera goes back down to Olympus, talks to Themis, the goddess of justice, um, talks about how unfair Zeus is, even though Zeus has given her exactly what it is she wants, which you know, sort of ungrateful for Hera, but that's sort of how their relationship goes. And 
Then she instigates with which god? Which god does she say, hmm, it's so funny that we're not allowed on the battlefield. That'd be a real bummer to me, seeing as, you know, your son just died, if I were you. Ares, and what, does anybody recall yet the name of Ares' Achaean son, who had recently died, on the other side of the conflict, indicating potentially that Ares truly does not care or observe the difference between family and foe, yes? Ascalaphos, very good, very good, very good, very good. All right, and good. Then Poseidon is sent down to, or excuse me, Iris is sent down to the battlefield. She says, Poseidon, you need to get off. And she says, the reason why you need to get off is that if you fight against Zeus, it's not that Zeus will simply defeat you, which he would, but who will attack you because they give their favor to the elder in a family dispute, which is, and in normal mythology, remember, Zeus is always the youngest. And that makes a lot of sense, seeing as he saved all his siblings who were eaten before him from his father Cronus. But in, or excuse me, in the Iliad, remember that he often changes mythology. He changed the idea of the three gods who bound Zeus. He changed the idea of the Caledonian boar. He changed who the teacher of Achilles was. Sometimes it's Phoenix, sometimes it's Chiron. And what was my question? I already forgot. Um, uh, Ah, yes. And who is it that Poseidon should truly be afraid of, according to the goddess of messengers, Iris? Not Zeus, but the fears. And so that gives him a way to back out without looking like a... If you back out of a fight because you are afraid, we call you a... Coward. Coward. Very good. So he gets to save face, as it were. Good, 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 good. Uh, Apollo is then sent down, and who is it that he heals who has a grievous rock injury? Uh, And uh, this is the second time we've seen Apollo do this sort of useful thing, yes? Hector, very good. And so everything that Hera attempted to do has already been put back into place. She has been her her attempt to subvert with, uh, the will of Zeus has in fact been subverted itself. Good, 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 good. All right. Book sixteen. Patroclus returns to Achilles, crying like a little girl, or at least so says Achilles. He claims that Patroclus looks like a little girl. And I'll actually read you from the very first page of Book 16, their interaction. So, line one. So they fought on both sides for the sake of the strong, benched vessel. Meanwhile, Patroclus came to the shepherd of the people, Achilles, and stood by him and wept warm tears, like a spring dark running, that down the face of a rock impassable drips its dim water. And swift-footed, brilliant Achilles looked on him in pity and spoke to him aloud and addressed him in winged words. Why, then, are you crying like some poor little girl, Patroclus, who runs after her mother and begs to be picked up and carried and clings to her dress and holds her back when she tries to hurry and gazes tearfully into her face until she is picked up? You are like such a one, Patroclus, dropping these soft tears. Could you have some news to tell for me or the Myrmidons? Have you and nobody else received some message from Thea? Yet they tell me Actor's son Menidius lives still, and Iacos' son Peleus lives still among the Myrmidons. If either of these died, we should take it hard. Or is it the Argives you are mourning over, and how they are dying against the hollow ships by reason of their own arrogance? Tell me. Do not hide it in your mind. So... We shall both know. And so, Achilles calls his friend a little girl and then asks why it is he's crying. He says, well, surely you haven't gotten some message from our home about your father or my father, something that would cause us uh, grief. Uh, 
you would not be crying about the Achaeans, the Argives, who are now being harmed because of their own arrogance, would you? That's an interesting claim Achilles makes. Because of the arrogance of the Argives, they are being injured. Whose arrogance is he thinking of specifically? Agamemnon's arrogance. And so who is he blaming for the injuries of the, of the Achaeans right now in their current defeat? Agamemnon. And yes, that is one way to look at the situation. But who is denying the Achaeans his own strength and would help them very much to keep from being defeated? And so whether it's Achilles' arrogance or Agamemnon's arrogance is a real question, I would say. All right. Patroclus enlists the injured Achaean champions. We know Diomedes, we know Odysseus, we know Agamemnon. Who are the two slightly rarer or less commonly known individuals who are injured? One will be in Dante's hell, was tended to by Patroclus on the way back to Achilles' ship. One is one of their two heroes, or excuse me, healers, uh, along with his brother uh, Podolarius. Yes? Eurypolis is the one tended to by um, uh, Patroclus, thank you very much. And Machaon is one of their healers. Very, very, very good. Well, then Patroclus, showing his soft-heartedness, says, you know, these men are being injured. He's being pushed to fight. He's thinking of the words of Nestor. And then he says, Achilles, is the reason you're not fighting is you know some prophecy about your death? And Achilles actually responds fairly strongly to this. He says, what are you talking about? I know no prophecy of my death. The only thing is, I'm no longer angry, which disagrees with what he said in Book 9, where he said the only reason he's still not fighting is because he's still angry. And that was the night before, so it hasn't been very long. He says, because I said I won't fight until Hector is burning my ships, I will not fight. And you can just imagine Patroclus sort of rolls his eyes at this sort of thing. And he says, well, either... I need to, and this actually comes before that, either give me your armor so that I may fight, or fight in it yourself. And Achilles says this, I will not fight because of my anger, but you may fight. And he says this, lines 85 to 90 in book 16. You may fight under two conditions. A, if you manage to get the Trojans out of our camp and push them away from the ships, go no farther than our gate. Because if you do, A, that will just diminish my honor. Because that is what I need to do. Attack and sack Troy, not you. B, if you do go beyond our gate and you make it to the Trojan gate, their strongest god Apollo is there. He will kill you. And so, something you might want to wonder is this. We remember Hector. Hector, how, he's been rather what he's been rather caught up in the excitement of the battle lately that's made him wiser or less wise less wise, less wise. he's continued to push his advantage even past the point of it being an advantage recall that he did not take the sage advice of Pulidamus to not go through the gate of the Achaeans after breaking it towards the ship and burn it because that would simply make them angry and in fact we're seeing that that's true it's precisely because Hector has broken through the gate of the Achaeans, that Patroclus is going to become active with the Myrmidons, and they are going to hand the defeat right back to the Trojans. Hmm. Good. Good, 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 good. Well, and so, 
Trojans overwhelm Aias' position, Hector included. And in fact, we know that Aias is holding a giant pike right now, which means a very long spear, which has a blade at the end, and he's using it to keep the Trojans away from his ship, but Hector hacks off the point of it. And in hacking off the point with the sword, he sets fire to the ship, and the first ship of the Achaeans is burning. They are in a dire, dire situation. And so Patroclus is summoned. And so we know Hector overwhelms Aias and brings fire to the ship. Achilles sends out Patroclus. Says, do not go out beyond the ships. That will dishonor me. He also says, do not approach the Trojan wall. Apollo lurks there. Patroclus then takes Achilles' armor. But very interestingly, he does not take a spear, a Pelian ash spear it is described as, that was given to Achilles' father Peleus by Chiron the centaur. Recall that the centaur Chiron is traditionally the teacher of Achilles, taught him medicine, uh, music, how to debate, how to fight, and how to hunt. Though that's conflated a little with what Phoenix taught Achilles from Book 9 as well, because recall Homer often changes mythology for his own purposes. However, because Patroclus can wear the armor of Achilles but not wield his spear, what do you know about the difference between Achilles and Patroclus, though it's not very large? One of them is obviously water than the other. Yes? If Achilles can wield a spear that is larger than anybody else, what is he than anyone else? Yes. Stronger. Obviously, much stronger, which means he has the strength to wield his destiny. Who does not have that strength? Including Patroclus. That's right. In fact, this makes me think it is often the case that mythological heroes can wield a weapon that no one else can wield. Often students know the two figures I am thinking about from mythology. Who are figures from mythology who wield special weapons that only they can wield? I can think of at least two. Yes? Thor. Thor. Anybody know what his famous hammer is known as? Very oddly spelled. Yes? Uh, it's like Mjolnir. It is Mjolnir. M-J-O-L-L-N-I-R. Mjolnir. Looks like Mjolnir. Good. Was there some other hero who had a special weapon that only he was capable of using? Yes. Zeus and the lightning bolt? Yeah, potentially so, potentially so. But I'm thinking of a human in this case. Oh, we need to learn our British mythology a little better, it looks like. Yes? Yeah. Sword and the stone from King Arthur. Yes, which I'll tell you what that symbol means. To take the sword out of the stone like a Hermes out of a stone means to develop your intellect, and that is what rules all humans. Because the king with his golden crown is a representative of a person who can what? Think. And so he makes the choices for people. I'll teach you something beautiful about democracy. Who is the king, therefore, of those who live in a democracy? People. The minds of the people all used together. And so who is the great king in a democracy? Our minds. Our minds. The collective use of our minds and the collective decisions that we all make. And so our king is our ability to think. And so, why do you have free speech? So that you can express what you think, so that you can maintain our political system. So why do we teach you? So you can learn to say what you think, so that you can learn the art of being free. And in fact, that's why we call a class like this a liberal arts class, the art of being 
liberal, that means the art of being free. Yes, very good. That's what the word liberate means as well. Good. Did you have a question? Yeah. That's about um, accolades and skin. What is it about accolades? Yeah. If it was like bigger than all the others, wouldn't that make them like more high priority and like easier to spot? Yes, he's so good. But remember, most people run when they see accolades, and most people are unwilling to stand against him. But his fear would have only been slightly larger, sort of like when you play baseball and you have a bat that's heavier than others. It looks pretty much the same, but it's just heavier. All right, good. So Patroclus takes Achilles' armor, but not Chiron's uh, spear gift that he gave to Peleus that was then given to Achilles. He's sent out with Automaton, the huge charioteer of Achilles, along with his two immortal horses, Xanthos, which means a bay horse, and Valios, which means a dappled or a spotted horse. Third horse that you do need to know about is his trace horse. And a trace horse is an anachronism during the fight at Troy. Their trace horses were no longer used. Often, what I believe they do is you have two horses in front, you have one horse tethered to the side. That makes it easier for you to do what in battle? Turn. Turn, very good. And so this mortal horse is named Pedassos. For those of you who are very much soft-hearted like Menelaus or Patroclus, watch out for, for Pedassos today because he's going to have a tough day. All right, and then just something interesting to tell you just because students are always very weirded out by this because they don't understand it because it's hard to understand, but maybe it's easy to understand. All right, so let's talk about genetics for a moment. And... Uh, how do you make an immortal horse? So you might have wondered that. Ah, well you take the west wind, who is a god, called Zephyrus, and we still use the word Zephyr to, the, to describe a pleasant wind, who is sometimes described as the fastest and as the evil wind in the Greek mythology. Well apparently he made it with a creature called a harpy. And what a harpy is, is a woman-faced giant bird with feces on her stomach. So she smells very good or bad. Terrible! And they're horrifying. And we'll see them down in hell next year in the inferno amongst the forest of the suicides. Well, they're horrifying creatures. Why would it be the case that harpy, flying creature, plus wind, fast creature, would make horse? Yes? Sure. So sometimes a horse can run like the wind. That means that the wind plus a flying creature indicates that these are objects or creatures that are very what? Yeah. Fast. Very good. So they produce fast offspring, and that seems to be the connection. Very good. Way to interpret that symbol correctly. All right, Achilles. He sent out Patroclus, and, well, he loves Patroclus. Patroclus is his best friend. They essentially grew up together. He makes a prayer, and here is some nasty and gnarly foreshadowing. He prays A. Patroclus fight bravely. That prayer will come true. But secondly, he also prays. And this is, this is like praying to play well and then to win, right? You can play well. Does that guarantee you'll win? No. no. He also prays, B, that Patroclus return safely. And then we hear somewhat macabrely that Zeus only assents to grant one of those prayers. And you can probably guess which one it is. The Myrmidons then take the field like wasps. Does that mean that they are very terrifying and scary and effective and dangerous, or not? Yes, wasps. How many of you like to mess with wasps? How many of you, unlike that one, when you see wasps, wasps, give them some space, because you do not want to get stung by a wasp. 
You do know that wasps can sting you multiple times? Like they're like they're like elite versions of bees. They're like Navy SEAL bees. Like bees on steroids. Bees on steroids, yeah. Except for maybe they just train harder. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Excellent. The next thing that happens, I really want to read to you, because I think it tells you something about the character of Hector. Recall, even though he's been doing fairly well recently, he does make mistakes. He does occasionally leave people behind. Recall Sarpedon in Book 5. He was injured by Tlepolemus. He begged for help from Hector. Hector kept flying on. Recall also that Hector made the mistake of sending Dolon out as his spy, who then gave the position of the Thracians because of his cowardly nature. You could put that on Hector's head as well, though we do all make our own choices. And then keep also in mind that Hector believes that the reason he is being victorious right now, like a boulder running down a mountain, is because of his own merits. However, what do we know is the reason why he is doing so well right now? Zeus is helping him. And so we see a nasty situation here, which is this. As the Myrmidons approach, you can imagine that the Trojans see them, and they see a guy in Achilles' armor, and they all think, what? Yes? You know, it's funny that you articulated it. This is what they probably think. Ah! And once you go, ah, what do you immediately do? Prayer response, you run! Just like away from wasps. I want you to hear what happens when they run. This is just after line 360, 365, 364 rather. As when a cloud goes deep into the sky from Olympus, through the bright upper air when Zeus brings on the hurricane, so rose from beside the ships their outcry, the noise of their terror. These are the Trojans running away from the Myrmidons. In no good order they went back, while... His fast-running horses carried Hector away in his armor. He abandoned the people of the Trojans, who were trapped by the deep-dug ditch, unwilling. And in the ditch, many fast horses who pulled the chariots left, broken short at the joining of the pole, their master's chariots, while Patroclus was on them, calling hard and loud to the Danaeans with evil intention for the Trojans, who in clamorous terror choked all the ways where they were cut off. From under their feet stirred the dust storm, scattered in clouds. Their single-footed horses were straining to get back to the city, away from the ships and the shelter. The shelter. So, what happens? Well, when the Myrmidons come out, the Trojans panic. They think Achilles is coming back. They think they're all going to die. They run. They run in confusion, disorder. This is why you're not supposed to run when there's a fire drill, right? Because when you run in confusion and disorder, what often happens when you start to step on other people's feet? You can trip. And when you fall, what will other people do to you because they are panicking? They will step on you, they will crush you, they will pulverize you, right? That sort of thing is the sort of thing that has happened uh, in Mecca before, even while people are making pilgrimages there. The tremendous pilgrimages, lots of people walking all at once. And, you know, if people are in a certain sort of fervor, they will not notice you under them, or they will think, perhaps unconsciously, better you than me. And so it's always best to retreat with order. In fact, Wichikian do we know believes that? Wichikian knows that when you try to retreat in a disordered way, that potentially leads to more death than even standing your ground. Yes, Odysseus, very good. So as they panic, several of their horses, not being especially intelligent, fall into the ditch outside of the Achaean gates. 
When you fall into the ditch during a battle, you die. Why? Well, A, there are spikes in the ditch. B, who's all around you who wants to kill you? I can't. So if you get trapped in that ditch, there's very little that Hector can do for you. He abandons them. And so, even though we do like the Hector, he is not a perfect person, nor can he do everything. Well, Sarpedon and Patroclus then approach to battle. And Zeus has a moment very unlike the king of the gods, but very like a father. Even though he knows fate, he knows what must happen, and he has agreed with his wife Hera to make something happen, which he must bring about. Because when he assents to something, must it happen? Yes, it must. Even still, he considers saving his son and sparing him. Does this sound very much like how a father would feel during such a moment? Of course. Even though he is a god, he shares some element of humanity in him. In fact, to indicate his tremendous pain at the upcoming death of his son, he cries, and he cries tears of blood. And actually, uh, a question that's often asked by students who are being very intelligent on those days, they say, is it real blood, or is it God blood? Does anybody recall what the name of the blood of the gods is that we learned in book five, yes? Icor, or Ecor, very good. And so I do think this is actual blood, in that I think it is a red mist that is very creepy. Very creepy. And people are looking around and like, what is this? Zeus blood cried tears. All right, good. Oh, yes, oh, yes, and just to mention, as Zeus is vacillating, experiencing doubt, and wondering whether he should save his son or not, can you guess who comes up to him and is like, you, you better not try and save that son of yours. Absolutely not. No God will support your decision. We will resent you so much. Yes, it is Hera, of course. And Hera is actually motivated to do this not only because Zeus has laid out that his son has to die in order for Hera to get what she wants, the destruction of the Trojan people, but also, why might else Hera wants Sarpedon to die? Remembering Heracles and how much she liked him. Yes? Because he is not her actual son and is evidence of Zeus cheating on her. I believe his mother's name is Laodamia, or Laodamia. Laodamia. There we are. There we are. Got to get the accentuation right. All right. Last two slides of the day. Yes. Um, if, uh, if Zeus were only about to stay off the battlefield and not help, why is he getting involved with the Trojans? He's not really getting involved in the Trojans. The reason why he uh, he told all the Athenians or all the Achaean and Trojan gods to get off the battlefield is he is going to bring about the conclusion to this war. He does not want them to get in his way. Whatever he does, he's doing to honor his agreement, even though it did not appear that way for some time. All right, boom. The fight between Sarpedon and Patroclus, and our hearts start to stop because, well, do we like Sarpedon? Yeah, we remember that speech he gave to Glaucus where he said, if you would live forever, I would not ask you to fight, but since you will, die at some point, you might as well win glory for yourself or give glory to someone else. And in fact, the whole reason why we are given honor, places at the table, good food, good land by our people is because of our valor and our preeminence in battle. So let's go earn our keep. We like Sarpedon. He's a good man. We like Patroclus too, though. He wants to fight for his friends. He tries to steer his best friend, Achilles right, though well, apparently no one can do that. Not Odysseus, not Phoenix, not Aias, not Reason, not even his best friend. 
somebody we like is going to die. And actually, more than that is going to happen. And so, Sarpedon throws twice. I'm tempted to read this whole thing. I'll read the last bit to you. His first hit, no! It hits Pedassos, the trace horse, the mortal horse who was fast enough to keep up with the immortal horses. Pedassos is dead. He has to be unleashed. Yes, I know. Those of us who are animal lovers, who have dogs and cats that we love, perhaps a horse, Pedassos, gone. Yes? Like, what would be the difference between the speed of the immortal and immortal? Well, like, the way I would think about it is the way that I thought about King Rasos' horses from the Thracians and also Aeneas's. They're just the best. They're the fastest. It's like the difference between a Maserati and a Geo Prism. Big difference, big difference. Um, <laughs> I know because I've driven a Geo Prism. And also a Maserati <coughs> at this point. But it wasn't mine, so don't worry about it. So, very good, very good, very good, very good. So, the second throw of Sarpedon goes over the right shoulder of Patroclus. That means that Patroclus has a chance to throw at Sarpedon. He throws. First person he hits, Thrasymelos. Again, another instance of throwing at somebody, but there being so much melee and chaos, you hit somebody else anyway. Well, he throws a second spear at Sarpedon. He hits him dead in the heart. Who is going to die? Sarpedon is dead. But as a hero, what does he get to do right before he dies? What is it that we know that heroes get to do as they die? He gets to give a speech, and this is his speech. And it's a very sad speech, full of pathos, as my literary colleagues would say. That means emotion, usually negative emotion. He begs his friend Glaucus. He says, defend my body. Take it back to Lycia. Dear Glaucus, you are a fighter among men. This is line 492 in the book 16. Now the need comes hardest upon you to be a spearman and a bold warrior. Now... If you are brave, let bitter warfare be dear to you. First, you must go among all men who are lords of the Lycaeans everywhere and stir them up to fight for Sarpedon. And then you yourself also must fight for me with the bronze spear. For I shall be a thing of shame and a reproach set of you afterwards all your days forever if the Achaeans strip my armor here where I fell by the ships assembled. But hold strongly on and stir up all the rest of our people. And this is a brutal moment here. He's just said this beautiful thing to Glaucus. I want you just to hear about the mechanics of war here. Because while he's doing that, Patroclus still has his spear in the heart, though it would describe as the belly, of uh, Sarpedon. Does Patroclus need that spear back? He sure does. He spoke, and as he spoke, death's end closed over his nostrils and eyes. And Patroclus stepping. This is, this is a terrible moment. Heel braced to the chest, dragged the spear out of his body, and the midriff came away with it so that he drew out with the spearhead the life of Sarpedon. And the Myrmidons close by held in the hard, breathing horses as they tried to bolt away, once free of their master's chariot. So the, the Myrmidons immediately take his horses, too. They're like, yoink, thank you. Um, but this is where it gets sad. Glaucus has just been asked one final request by Sarpedon. And if you are given a final request by somebody, do you want more than anything to fulfill it? Especially if they were your noble lord and good friend, and I think Glaucus and Sarpedon are actually cousins. Um, this is sad. But when he heard the voice, a hard sorrow came upon Glaucus. And the heart was stirred within him, and he could not defend Sarpedon. What does he realize that Sarpedon asks him to defend his body and keep him from being stripped of his armor? What is Glaucus incapable of doing? Yes? 
Not only that, but simply, yes? Fulfilling his last wish. He can't defend Sarpedon. Can you imagine how terrible that would feel? Your friend and lord, who you love, just got killed in front of you. Very unexpectedly. Because you had just been about to destroy all the Achaeans. Now your lord is dead. And he makes one final request of you, which is protect my body. Not a very, I mean, that is a difficult request, but not a very abnormal request. And then you realize in that moment that the only thing he asked you to do, you can't do. How do you feel? Terrible, like a failure, horrible, yes. Well, luckily, Apollo is there to help a little bit. He heals and strengthens Glaucus, and Glaucus summons Aeneas, Agenor, Hector, and Pulidamus to defend. Remember, Agenor is the son of Antenor, the, uh, another figure of that is like Nestor on the Trojan side. Recall that Antenor is the advisor to Priam, just as Pulidamus is the advisor to, who is Pulidamus the advisor to on the battlefield? Yes? Hector. Very good. And so, good. There's going to be a major fight. Last line. Last line. All right. Glaucus prays to Apollo. He's healed and given strength. Patroclus and the Iontes then fight for the armor and body of Sarpedon. There's a huge fight. Huge melee. Everybody is attracted to Sarpedon's body. He's the number three Trojan. Who wants his armor? Everybody wants his armor. Right. In fact, so many people will die fighting for his armor that there will be a giant, like, leaf pile of bodies, body pile. Is that what we call it? A body pile? A body pile over Sarpedon. You won't even be able to see him by the end of it. Imagine how many bodies that is. Well, Zeus then drives spear into Hector. He flees to draw Patroclus to the wall. Here's a question just before we finish talking about Sarpedon. Zeus drives fear into Hector, which draws Patroclus to the wall. Is Patroclus being baited? Being baited means, is bait being put in front of him to draw him into a trap? Several people are nodding. Yes. What is the trap? What is at the wall of the Trojans that will end the life of Patroclus, which is part of the prophecy of Zeus and the inevitable fall of the Trojans? Yes? Apollo. Apollo. That's right. And because Patroclus has been experiencing some major success, what might he be very tempted to do as he watches Hector flee? Follow him. It seems very natural. Your predatory instincts kick in as you see someone fleeing like prey, the circuitry you share with bears. Hmm. Well, before that happens, though, the Achaeans do manage to strip Sarpedon. But it is not all tragedy. They do get his armor. Don't worry, the Trojans will get some pretty sick armor soon themselves. But Zeus sends down Apollo, his other son, his favored son, his favorite son, his godly son, and, you know, if you think about his godly sons, it's like Dionysus, Ares, and Apollo. It's probably going to be Apollo that he likes the most. Maybe Dionysus. He's pretty fun. Also Hermes, too. Yes, he does really like Hermes. They travel together. Which, I mean, if you think about it, Hermes is the god of tricks. So he's probably really what? Which makes him very pleasant to be around. Funny and fun. That's right. And so Zeus sends down Apollo to take Sarpedon's body to his home, Ikea. 
which I think is very sweet and kind. He doesn't save his son, but he can at least give him a hero's funeral and burial so that he will not be disfigured. He will not have his head cut off and put on a, put on a pike in front of the Achaean camp to serve as a warning to the Trojans. No, that will not be the end of Sarpedon. So at least he has given this additional consideration. He has given a noble end, and we like that. And so sleep and death, the twins, place him in Lycia. All right. Patroclus disobeys Achilles then. The moment he disobeys Achilles, what do we all know is going to happen? Death. Certainly. Because who will he run up against who he cannot defeat? Apollo. Apollo. Correct. And so besotted, which is a word that is also used to mean drunk. And so he's drunk on the passion of war. He's not thinking straight. He charges after the Trojans and Hector. We get this quote. Always the mind of Zeus is a stronger thing than man's. It's almost as if the will of Patroclus is weaker than the will of the situation. It's as if he is driven on by something, by the situation, the moment, or the emotions of it that make it so that he cannot stop himself. Perhaps you have felt that way before. You have tried to use it as an excuse. And an adult has said, you need to take responsibility for yourself. Well, Patroclus then attacks the Trojan Wall three times. Apollo turns him on the fourth attempt, and we will talk about what happens after that. On Friday.